the reading of the scriptures from Acts chapter 16, verses 11 to 15. I invite your reverent uh, hearing of God's uh, word publicly read. Um, again, from Acts chapter 16. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In uh, tradition of the church, we uh, learn about God uh, by faith and reason. Uh, a constituent part of reason is uh, logic, of course, and there is a logic of cause and effect. We're going to watch cause and effect this morning in a very profound way. Uh, because uh, in every divine action, there's going to be a reaction. And this morning, there's going to be a cause of uh, God bringing uh, the power of salvation, and there's going to be the constituent reaction that's always present when God acts. It is, uh, as I suggested, demonstrated here uh, in a display of how God's power works when He comes to save. And so that's what we're going to watch this morning in this uh, text about uh, a gathering of women, uh, more particularly a gathering of one woman. In a broader scale, the advance of uh, the work uh, now includes Philippi that begins uh, with a divine action resulting in a genuine conversion. So that there's going to be this inseparable union or tandem of a divine action and a human reaction in the case of uh, one woman by the name of Lydia. And when you think about her reaction, there's another tandem. Uh, she's going to come to faith and then begin to worship and serve God. I would commend to you the reality that every genuine salvation has that tandem. Someone's brought to worship. And they're also brought to serve uh, the God who saved them. So our company uh, of uh, the apostles is uh, planting and strengthening churches. It's very interesting in my own mind that there's a gathering of women here for prayer. Something radical is going to happen. Uh, in my own mind, with respect to the redeemed in Philippi, that gathering for prayer ceases. Now it becomes a gathering of churches. A gathering of churches as God's eternal plan to advance the gospel 
So Paul has a vision, as you know, of a man calling them uh, to come uh, to Macedonia in uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 9 to 10. This text is why. Very interesting, Paul has this vision. Uh, we have the scriptures today, but again, they were not constituted totally in the days of the apostle. Paul has a vision of a call to go to Macedonia. I'm sure Paul was bewildered. I mean, what's the matter with where I am, Paul? I mean, I really want to go here. God blocks him, and then he wants to turn left, and God blocks him. And now he knows uh, where God wants him to go, and real soon we're going to learn why. Uh, the larger outcome is, again, uh, the church in Philippi, uh, Philippi, and this is its beginning. Uh, the geographic movement uh, is uh, in verse 11. Uh, Neapolis was a port city, and Philippi was very nearby. It was a Roman colony and a leading city of the district. Uh, Paul probably goes uh, there because he hears about a gathering of Gentile worshipers who were, again, monotheists and attracted to Old Testament theology. I mean, as you know, if you think about the book of Acts, he goes to a synagogue because Scripture is there. God's going to manifest His presence in Scripture. Uh, there's monotheism there because there is one God, only one. Uh, and so he goes because there's something of a starting point. There's not a synagogue there because there's not ten men to constitute a synagogue. It's a gathering for prayer of ten women. He goes because they are attracted to Scripture and to the one true God. And what happens is, in terms of a cause, God and the Word is going to cause salvation. And so these women are assembled for prayer. Uh, there's an immediate cause, as I've suggested, because Paul is preaching. Uh, if you look at Acts uh, chapter 16 and verse 13, uh, he begins speaking, Paul does, to the women who had assembled. Uh, Luke is silent as to the content, but we don't have to be. Uh, we know from previous texts what he's saying. What is he saying? Well, what's he always been saying? Christ is the messianic fulfillment of Old Testament uh, prophecy, and he is the messianic king. He has come. He is uh, gathering his people uh, in the remarkable act of atonement. And again, I'm reading that in the text, but in the larger context of the book of Acts, the repetitive event is Paul goes to the Old Testament, goes to Old Testament messianic promises, and he then says to the synagogue, Christ is that fulfillment. There's an illustration of this, for example, in Acts 17.13. Pardon me, 17.3. Explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this is Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you. He is the Christ. So if you, if you might scold me, well, Phil, you're reading something into the text. I'm reading Acts 17.3 into Acts 16. I think that's what Paul is saying to the, to the women that are gathered. 
He's opening Scripture as an immediate cause because God will always use His Word. I appreciate in the church that there are there's great, beautiful music. Uh, there's liturgy that's very important. Uh, but always a constituent part of God acting is His Scriptures. You, if, if you lessen that and you ever vacate that, the church is in a serious way. Uh, I'm not belying the importance of beautiful music that we have at Grace Bible Church, uh, I think. Uh, the great hymns of the church, a wonderful reminder of God's actions historically in His church. Uh, great theology in the hymns. Uh, the liturgy that we use. But again, constituent part. A mimicking, if you will, of the Apostle Paul. He's preaching from the Scriptures. And again, if you look at another example of this, Luke 24, verse 32. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while He was speaking to us on the road while He was explaining the Scriptures to us? So we should mimic that in our own way in God's providence. Because as a divine cause, God always uses His Word. Uh, and He's going to use uh, the opening of the Scriptures that Paul is undoubtedly using in this gathering of women. But it is very interesting, is it not? Luke focuses on one. The others were there. I don't know how many. Uh, for whatever reason in God's providence, there's a focus on one. This incredible act of God, there's an apostolic company moving, sharing the gospel, evangelizing. They're in a place where they are, and God says, no, go to Philippi because there I have one. We oftentimes think of many. In American culture, we're into numbers. Uh, certainly, who's against numbers? At this point in God's sovereignty, His target is one. We should never underestimate what might appear to be little things. Never do that in your life. Because God is king. What is little and seemingly insignificant to us is never so to God because He's the eternal King. He does not do insignificant things. So it's a beautiful picture here that there's one, and her name is Lydia. She's a businesswoman, seller of purple uh, fabrics, so we can surmise uh, that she was perhaps well off. And she was listening to the things spoken of uh, by the Apostle Paul, Acts 16, uh, 14. She's a worshiper of God, so she's a monotheist. Uh, but she's listening. Uh, and that, again, is a constituent part. Uh, because God's going to use His Word. Why is it that she is listening? Again, we, we have to surmise that God is at work. I mean, you've been there. You've 
come to Grace Bible Church and maybe it's a particularly bad day for the preacher and it's a hard night for you and you just simply can't listen. I don't know. Those things go on in life. Maybe you're a butcher or baker or candlestick maker and you had the midnight shift and you want to come, but for whatever reason, you just simply can't make it through. This lady is listening because God is at work. So the Word is present. It's always going to be present in genuine faith. But now we're going to learn that God is present. And that's the exciting factor. Uh, I would contend that we should always recognize that when the Word is present, that God is present because it's His Word. Now, in the case of what's going to happen here, that Word is somewhat frozen, but He's going to thaw it. And great things are going to happen. It's a classic definition of revival. God's saving power for one woman. If you look at uh, verse 14, the latter part of verse 14, Acts chapter 16, the last phrase, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So there's divine causality at work. And that's how anyone is ever saved. There must be the divine cause. Because the Lord acts. The Lord takes the initiative. Why must He take the initiative? Because hearts are dead. Hearts are closed shut. Impenetrable to the words of men. Even the words of the apostles. Even the words of the preacher. The heart is welded shut. Just an essence of the reality of a total depravity. Dead hearts don't make decisions. They are closed and cannot be opened by any human causation. In this case, God opens her heart as a synonym for the mind or understanding. It's literally it's not the heart. We know it's a figure of speech. Uh, her heart is not the target. It's her mind and her understanding. Uh, and, and that direct object is essential. God opens the mind and the understanding to grasp the reality of the Scriptures and who Christ is and what He did. And why he did it. Uh, illustration of this in uh, Luke chapter 24 and verse 45. I think the context is the apostles are somewhat bewildered. I mean, they put all their hopes uh, in Jesus Christ. Uh, they hitch their horses, they hitch their wagon to his horse, and, and, and then in a moment he's gone. And then he comes back. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures that he was the Messiah. Divine causation and the effect is, of course, in the human mind, understanding. Lydia lacks understanding. If you will, her heart is closed. I mean, think about it in terms of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. The natural man does not understand the things of God. They're foolishness to him. 
Every time you share the gospel and you're speaking to someone that's unregenerate, you're speaking to someone who cannot understand what you're saying. It's as if you're speaking classical Latin and they've forgotten it all from high school or whatever metaphor you want to use until God acts. And that we never know, do we? That's why we share the Word or we share our testimony that includes the Word praying that God would act. But the initiative must be His because we do not do heart surgery. Only God can do that. Here He does it. God opened her heart. She was dead. God birthed her. I would have you think momentarily if you know when, and you may not, when God saved you. You came to faith. This is how you came to faith. God simply said, open. Understand, no. It happens. Divine, sovereign grace. Incredible power. Opening opening something that in the human perspective cannot be opened, opened, but is impenetrable. Think about that when you praise and worship God. You were dead and He made you alive. That's what happens here. That's simply the reality of John 1.13, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Incredible. I've, uh, I'm sure this occurs in all of the mass of civilization throughout the world. In my own personal experience, I've never met a young child that didn't deeply love their father and their mother. I'm not suggesting it doesn't happen. I'm just giving you my experience. And think about it in this way. So you should love God tenderly with all your heart, mind, and soul and understanding. Because you were dead. He made you alive. He birthed you by His sovereign power. Uh, John 3.6, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So, uh, revival is not a matter of uh, intellect or the human will. If you think about it in terms of the doctrine of total depravity and what we are watching here, Philippi, God acting. And in a moment, she understands. The Lord opens her heart. The word opening here is, uh, the verb is used eight times in the New Testament. Uh, John gives us some clarity here in uh, a text I'm sure you're familiar with. John chapter 6, verses 44 and 45. And again, think of it in terms of your human experience in coming to faith in Christ if you have indeed come to faith in Christ. Jesus says, no one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him and I raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God. It's the same theological understanding here. Paul is teaching, but really, God is teaching and He gathers one and her name is Lydia. They shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to Me. That's the theology of the salvation of Lydia. When you're taught of God, you come to Jesus. Uh, because God uh, 
unlike my high school algebra teacher, uh, is an efficient cause. My algebra teacher was not. She taught truth. I just could never get it. When God teaches, we get it. Because his words are sovereign. Uh, he is not an ineffective teacher. When he acts, things happen. And you and I know from John 6.45 or 6.44 that uh, when he gives to the Son to uh, purchase and to gather, Jesus then says, and I'll raise him up on the last day. In other words, none will be lost. That's the effectiveness of the divine power of God teaching. None are lost. So again, think of the causation men teach. The Apostle Paul is teaching as an immediate cause. The divine cause is that God acts upon the heart. He does here. Paul opens the Scripture. The Lord opens her heart or her mind and understanding. Uh, again, returning to the verb, it's a compound form. Sometimes that intensifies the meaning of the verb. Uh, but the... Uh, the simple verbal form is uh, used in Revelation 5.5. If you want to turn there, we're going to read it in a moment. But the context is the book of redemption. And no one is found who can open it. No one. John ransacks heaven and earth that he could find someone that could open the book of redemption, and no one can. And so John begins to weep because that's the ultimate horror of life. The ultimate horror of life is that there's no redemption whatsoever. A horror to us is a, is a tornado. Getting some incurable disease or succumbing to it. Uh, losing a child. And those are all terrible things. I don't minimize anything uh, of the human experience. But the greatest horror of all is no redemption whatsoever. And an angel tells John to stop weeping. Because while earth has nobody that is qualified, heaven does. And so let's, let's read uh, together uh, Revelation chapter 5. In verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. Again, that's messianic prophecy. The root of David, that is messianic prophecy, has overcome. That's a reference to the resurrection. He overcame death so as to open the book and its seven seals. So he takes the book and breaks its seals. And what does heaven do? It erupts in praise. What should we do? Mimic heaven and praise God. Because now there is a Redeemer. The Shorter Catechism has it so beautifully, the only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ. Only Redeemer. The adjective is so incredibly important. Only Redeemer. There are not many. There's only one Redeemer, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
only he is qualified to open the book of redemption. He does. Heaven erupts in praise. What should we do in church erupt in praise? There is redemption he purchases. And now we know that Lydia was included. The Lord engages her mind. Again, I return to another tandem. I don't know if you're a Christian, I don't know when you were saved. You do, perhaps. But if you don't, you perhaps uh, have a complete understanding of the truth of the Scriptures in terms of messianic fulfillment in Jesus Christ. You know you're a son of God. You have confessed Him. You belong to Him. How did all that happen? Because you were smarter than someone else? Because you learned your history better than someone else? Because you learned to be a better writer than someone else? Because you learned logic better than uh, your logic teacher? No. Because God opens your heart. It's a, it's a reminder that the results, again, belong to God. He is the only subject of that verb. Christ is the only actor in opening the book of redemption. I say that partially because of the corruption in our culture. Well, there's, I mean, you know the song. There's many roads to heaven, and you got your way, bower socks, and we have our way. Uh, I had a, a Muslim in the church uh, who was looking at a Muslim rug that was left here by a Catholic priest, and he was showing me the outline of how you prayed, and he was telling me about uh, his uh, belief uh, and that uh, I had Jesus and he had his own way, and I just, no, that's not it. Well, at that point, I lost him. But there's a lot of people that way, and I understand it's just simply part of our culture. Uh, we have rejected any singular absolutes, have we not? God has not. There is but one. Jesus is the Messiah. And God is the only saving power that can open hearts. Um, is it not a, an illustration of unconditional election? Paul, go to Philippi. I've got one. You want me to what? Go to Philippi? I mean, I'm right here. Why should I move? Paul, you go. I've got one. And so Paul does, and he doesn't know there's one, but now we know there's one, Lydia. There's also irresistible grace, is there not? That's not the language in the text, but that's the theology. God has been irresistibly moving upon Lydia. And then in a moment, she understands the Scripture. Heart is open. She comes to faith. So that's divine causation. The Word is always going to be present. Then God must be present. Then God must act. And in this case, He does. Let's think of the, about the effect. Let's shift to the effect. Uh, divine cause is essential, so there are effects. Because there's always this tandem if there's going to be a divine action, there's going to be a human reaction. There's always going to be the divine word and the explanation of the word, and then God's going to grant understanding. People are going to come to faith. First, the verb open is modified by an infinitive of result. It's a technical word. The infinitive is uh, she, she responds. 
The point of it is it's a result of divine causation. It's a result of it. In other words, the Lord turns her mind. And so this is the necessary response. She responds. I mean, I understand in many churches they'll have uh, revivals uh, and uh, music and testimonies and banners. And again, I don't, I'm not dismissing any of that. But the essential constituent parts of the word and God acting. Remember the great uh, Second Great Awakening, uh, Charles Finney, he would uh, engineer revivals uh, to wear people down to get them to respond. I mean, wear them out so much that I'm just going to go down front and get it over with. i got to go home tonight and got to go work tomorrow. So, you know, and so that was, to Finney, that was salvation. That's not salvation. Revival is when God shows up. We pray that God would show up. Here he does. That's revival. So she now understands the things spoken of by Paul. Evidence and understanding the word, it comes from God. Cause and effect, the effect here is understanding. I stress this because we live in an anti-intellectual age dominated by feelings. And again, I don't dismiss feelings. I, I love feelings. I have powerful feelings. My wife and my sons. But here, great logic. The, uh, the phrase epistemology comes from the Greek verb epistemi. It's how we know. Epistemi, to know. How do we know God? Uh, we know because He reveals Himself in Scripture and in divine power. That's how we know. Well, how do you know about God? Because you went to school somewhere? No, because He taught you. Marvels of the grace of God. He teaches His sons and daughters as He gathers them. My point is uh, knowledge of the fulfillment of messianic expectation because God gives it. And if you vacate understanding from salvation, uh, we, we should be careful. Because if all of God's sons and daughters are taught of God, there's going to be understanding and knowledge. I didn't say complete knowledge, but there's going to be knowledge of the Messiah and the atonement. There must be. Uh, illustration of this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. Paying attention to Scripture. So there must be the essential element of understanding the Savior. Secondly, there's another constituent response to the divine action. Verse 15 of Acts chapter 16. When she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So she and her household are baptized. As you know, this is one of the sacraments that is definitive of a church. 
we give attention to the word and to the sacraments. Begins to define a church. Believing and baptism go together as evidence of true faith. Baptism identifies Lydia with Christ. So that now her allegiance to Christ is public. And that's part of what a baptism is. It's a public allegiance to Christ. Uh, In a moment, we could say theologically that she has renounced her allegiance to the world and to the kingdom of evil. And she now has her loyalty to Christ and His kingdom. Uh, Very quickly, as you know, household baptism is present. But we do not know if infants are there or not. It's not in the text. Great division in the church. I'll leave that for another time of study. But uh, there is a household baptism that occurs. We have no clue uh, as to whether there are infants or not. Just don't know. But more importantly, and I think this is the essential point of, of the text and the household, is that from one the message expands to the household. As it should be. That's what Christians do. They they tell people. In this case, uh, Lydia takes the gospel to her household. I once had a Christian friend of mine who's still a very dear friend of mine. Say, well, Phil, I leave it to my children to make up their own minds. My, that sounds so progressive. It's really kind of a tragedy, isn't it? Lydia doesn't belong to that tribe. Thank the Lord. Thirdly, Lydia persuades, if you judge me to be faithful in the Lord, come and stay in my house. So it's an offering of hospitality to the Apostle Paul to use her home as a base of operation to the advance of the Gospel. That's another genuine evidence of genuine faith. Once reading a biography about John Calvin, historians have a difficult time uh, deciding when he came to faith. At least a biography that I was reading suggested to that end. But they know he was genuine the moment he begins to advance the Gospel. I mean, you and I know, for example, historically, they, he uh, many would, people would go to Geneva to study under him. The Huguenots would come to study him. He wouldn't let him stay. You go back to France. You preach the gospel there. And that was a dangerous place to preach the gospel. Because if it were made known, you were killed. That's how we know someone's genuine. They begin in their own way to share the gospel. Lydia does because God has opened her heart. Uh, Genuine faith advances the faith. It's another tandem. It's going to always be present. Now understand we're timid. I I mean, I understand that. uh, Far be it for me to tell you that I'm always bold. Uh, right? timid, I pray, and I ask God to open doors and uh, so I can share the gospel in some way. Uh, certainly the timing is uh, 
left up in many cases to us uh, to use the time, but to always recognize that, if you will, our radar is always on. We should always be ready to share the gospel in fear and trembling. Uh, knowing that it's not left to us to persuade. We can't anyway. If God is willing, He will act in His sovereign power. In this case, He does. Beautiful, beautiful picture of God's saving power. And by the way, it's a beautiful picture of how God saved you. Now, if He did, if He hasn't, you, you should turn to the Scriptures and uh, ask God to open your heart, your mind, your understanding. It's always going to be centered around Jesus Christ as uh, the Messiah who gave his life a ransom, the one for the many. And there are many areas of theology that are very difficult that might take years of study, but that one is essential to the faith. Christ is Messiah. He ransomed his life to purchase his people. Every Christian understands that. The beauty of it. And so we, we align ourselves, as Lydia does, with uh, the cause of advancing faith. If you will, from a theological perspective, that's an evidence of perseverance. And perseverance is a human response to genuine faith. That over time and in degree, we persevere in the faith. If you think about it, Lydia comes to faith. She goes home. Her household uh, is gathered into the kingdom. She persuades Paul to stay to work in Philippi. She is persevering in the faith. And lastly, and this is so significant in our own culture, a church is formed. So, well, Phil, that's, that's not stated in this text. And it's not. Uh, so, I would simply ask you to turn uh, to the book of Philippians. Uh, because I'm simply using Scripture uh, to understand what's going on in Lydia's household. Philippians uh, chapter 1 and verse 5. In view of your participation in the Gospel from the first day until now. So there's a gathering. Verse 1, he, he's writing to the saints in Jesus Christ who are in Philippi. He's extolling their virtues of participating in the Gospel, and that's what Christians do. It's just part of their understanding. It's part of their genuine faith. They participate in its advance. Turn to chapter 4 and verse 15. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the Gospel after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. They're giving to support uh, the Apostle Paul financially share the Gospel. Because God always uses human means. That's the Apostle Paul sharing the Word. This gathering of women, it's a human means. Paul is engaging a human means. People are not going to intuitively come to faith apart from someone sharing the gospel to them. In this case, it's Paul. And then a church is formed and gathered to advance the faith because it, it's what courses through the veins of every Christian. And we don't worry about the results, do we? Because that's God's providence. 
We just simply use the means that God has appointed us to. If he gathers, he gathers. If he doesn't, it doesn't. Great text in 1 Corinthians. I planted, Apollo, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Sometimes as uh, Christians, we, we forget the importance of human means. Simply, clearly taught in Scripture. Paul is starting churches. I would commend to you the reality that Lydia no longer goes to the place of prayer. She has a church to go to. And that's the preeminent institution of God of which Jesus Christ is head. And that's the essence of the advance. God has planted His presence there. The evidence of the divine causality extends beyond Lydia's household to a church. The importance of a church. I would commend you as a Christian the importance of a church. Uh, I understand churches sometimes are difficult places. Certainly Grace Bible Church is included in that. And we have our warts and freckles and we are human beings. We're a gathering of sinners. Uh, I make no claim to perfection. I'm sure you intuitively know that. Uh, but I trust in God's presence that, that the elements of a true church are here. Word and sacrament and church discipline. Uh, I remember reading in the Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin. Let's go to a church in spite of its many faults. Imagine that. Sometimes in our culture, we're fault finders. Be very careful. Look for the main things. Look for the main event. Look for the prize fight. Word and sacrament and a gathering of God's people. A church is what God is doing. The place of prayer is no longer mentioned. It's now the church at Philippi. So there's a divine action here. God causes. There's a human response, that tandem. Divine action, human reaction. In the human reaction, there's an understanding of the word and there's constituent perseverance in the gathering of a church. Beautiful tandem. We understand we're baptized. Our union with Christ becomes a union with His body in the church. So the tandem goes together. The two are inseparable. They're equated action and reaction. The God acts, there's belief, baptism in the church, and it's all the product of God's sovereign grace. Something else here that's important to one of our reactions in the worship and devotion to God. We now know that he loved Lydia because she comes to faith. If you've come to faith, you now know that he loved you in eternity past. And we understand in the mystery of salvation, he does not do it for all. The case of the church of Philippi begins with one. Think about that when you praise God. For whatever reason, the sovereign good pleasure, the will of God, He opened your heart. Others are left welded shut. We pray for them. We take the gospel to them. 
but the results fall to God. Only he can act and open what cannot be opened by human experience and events. So we should, in our human reactions to the marvels of the grace of God to us in Christ and in redeeming us, praise Him continually and serve Him continually in our individual lives and in our church.